0: Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. We know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay.
1: Welcome back to another episode of From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm sitting here with Bobby the Awesome. So I I just got to dive right in what What's the awesome about? Tell us the story <laughs> behind that name,
2: hi, Mark. So for years, I used Bobby the Awesome. like i I drove a golf a golf cart and won a competition and was announced on stage as Bobby the Awesome. But once I got into my recovery journey, I realized that it was kind of a coping mechanism, like Bobby the Awesome, ha, ha, ha. And now I use it as a way to give permission to everyone. To start thinking of themselves in a positive light instead of listening to all the negative voices, and it's also a good reminder on the days I need to look in the mirror and go, "Oh yeah, you're you're awesome." Forget those stupid voices.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I love how it went from something that became a joke to a moniker that you really have a lot of pride in.
2: Yes, yes, and it's it's a good conversation piece too to to get people thinking about mental wellness, mental health wellness. Um, addiction, you know, it, it's just a great segue. And I've had people that have told me their staff was like, "Do you want to take an appointment with this person with this name?" And they're like, "Well, yeah, it creates curiosity, so that kind of makes it fun too."
1: For sure, yeah. I mean, that was my initial reaction when I saw it. I was like, "Well, I got to talk to this woman. That seems incredible. Um, I, I got to know the story behind this." Um, so as we got to talking, I learned more about your past and your history, and you know maybe surprising or not to you, you're the first person uh, with gambling addiction that's recovered from gambling addiction that we're talking to on this show. So I'm really excited for our listeners to hear the story um, of kind of what that was like for you, how you recovered, how you got better, um, and kind of what you're doing now.
2: Wow. Well, I'm very grateful then that you're having someone on here talking about it. Um, I was gambling from a very early age you know like five or six with nickel dime poker and by the time i was in high school uh, a little after i was buying lottery tickets you know bingo with the grandma's scratch-offs all of those things going to high lie which is kind of like horse or dog betting, um and just kept evolving like i don't discriminate against gambling and we have casinos here in connecticut that you're not allowed into until you're 21, but I knew how to sneak in. So I started sneaking in very young and eventually it snowballed. I love the casinos; so that's my definite favorite. Everybody knew all along that I was a gambling addict, you know, but again, kind of like my, my name with the Bobby, the Austin awesome was kind of like, ha ha, you know, do you need to call this one 800 number? Ha ha. You know, that kind of thing. And as we talk a little bit more about what I've realized, it's all in reflection. I just need to be clear on that because when I was doing it, I didn't I didn't know. And I even participated in a gambling study when I was in my 20s um, where they made me go to GA meetings and I had to meet with a therapist and all of that. Which looking back, I'm kind of excited they were talking about it 20 years ago because I feel like we're so far behind in education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in my 20s, I, uh, I was a truck driver. Uh, My poor ex-husband would wake up and find me missing because I would be in the casinos and I should have been driving the truck. And eventually in 2013, I had moved out to Kansas City, another place. The Missouri River has tons of casinos. So that's where I spent a lot of time. And it just got so bad that I couldn't. My first weekend there with my dream job, I gambled away my rent money and everything. And um, it was a Saturday night. And that Monday I went to my first GA meeting on purpose with the intention of quitting. What I didn't realize at the time was that it was quitting out of fear, right? Fear of losing my apartment, fear of losing my job, fear of people finding out. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't do my all in. I'll never gamble all in. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> using gambling puns. <laughs> I, I didn't really commit in, in such a way until 2017 Uh, where I was just like, I can't live like this anymore. It was more, it wasn't about just money and fear. It was, I need to not gamble for the rest of my life.
1: Yeah, can you tell a little bit about how you made that change? Because I think you're making a really important point, right? It's about moving towards a better life rather than moving away from a bad life.
2: Yes, yes. It was, it was ugly. It was, I was spending time If I wasn't gambling, I was drinking. Mm -hmm. I was showing up for activities that I had enjoyed before, like volleyball and Zumba. If I made it to them, if I wasn't at the bar or the casino, I wasn't enjoying life. There was I was a shell. Um, People, my employees would tell me afterwards, they thought I was like in an abusive relationship with a man or something based on how I was showing up. I wasn't I wasn't Bobby the Awesome. I was Bobby the shell of a human being that was just. Mm I don't, I can't even use the word living, like just going, going through life um, with no, not adding value to my life or anybody else's.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a really dark place to be in. What, What inspired you to make a change? How do you get a glimmer of hope in that?
2: Well, again, the money was running out, but I've been around addiction and all of that long enough to know. I just knew there was no it had to be extreme. Something had to happen. I had to get a reset and I, I decided to go into treatment all the time. So I had, I quit gambling for two years. The first time I relapsed 2016 and I don't remember most of 2016, like it's weird. You can almost black out from gambling like you can drinking. And I don't know if that makes sense to people, but like I would get home and I'd find all the ATM receipts in my pocket, but I don't remember walking up to the ATM that many times. Mm-hmm. So I had come back to Connecticut to visit and my niece showed me a picture of her from when, from 2016, I didn't even recognize her. Did, I was like, oh, so I was missing life. So all that stuff was culminating knowing that I wasn't showing up for anybody and that I just had to break free. So I had stayed connected to the GA community. I was still going to anniversaries. I I stayed far enough away because I knew it was against the rules for them to hang out with me while I was still gambling. Um, but one of my friends, I call him my GA husband. He had gone to this treatment place and he's like, Bobby, you could do this. Go, go, go. So I finally had um, removed all the obstacles because I had every excuse in the book to not go, right? And then I went into... Um, re-up for benefits and they informed me in that meeting they're like well you're executive so you have eight weeks of short-term disability included in your plan and I was like oh well there goes the last excuse I can be paid so I don't have to worry about the money and I, I'm covered from missing work so then I had nothing left to say I can't go left to hold wait.
1: on to <laughs> yeah all the <laughs> obstacles are removed
2: and and I looked at rehab like jail It was the closest thing to jail. It's a cross between jail and summer camp is the way I describe it. But it's the only time in my life that I ever just spent 28 days working on myself. It was all Bobby. Like I had no phone. No, it was one of those strict ones and no control over when I could shower, when I could eat, like all those things that I've never been in trouble that way. I've never been in prison, didn't want to go. And even during it, on the bad days when I wanted to leave, because there was quite a few, I was like, this is the closest thing I ever want to come to jail. So I need to just get through this. And that's really where my growing did actually start.
1: Yeah. What are some things you learned about yourself when you were in rehab?
2: <sighs> that I hadn't been vulnerable ever in life. Yeah. I, I like So I learned the definition and I learned how to do it. Now, granted, it wasn't until the last week when they broke me. Because I had been living in this um, with a mask on, I guess is a good way to put it, up until that point. I learned a little bit more about what I used to think was woo woo-woo, you know, like, oh, you know, therapists and counselors and all that. You don't have to go in the past to figure out what's broken, right? But I learned how important, you know, what we've learned and, and our past, how it does kind of dictate our belief system and the way we view the world and the way we do things so that was the beginning of my exposure on that. I got a little more open-minded to things like meditation and some of the tools that they gave us. Cause like we had art class. That's why I think it's a little bit like summer class. A little people. summer
1: class. Yeah. Like painting sports activities, you know?
2: Yeah. And dealing with people. Yeah. That was another thing. There was one person I connected strongly with. And then there was people that I was, didn't even want to be in the same room with, but you don't have a choice in that matter. And that's what would happen. And, I now know many people that have gone to prison for gambling and they were normal, good people like me that you would never expect in prison. Um, But you, the, the disease, you know, is, is how it's said, whatever school of thought you're from, but um, the disease, once it gets that bad and you run out of resources, you do what you have to do to get the money.
1: Yeah. So you came out, you, you know, learned how to be vulnerable, learned how to take care of yourself. It sounds like actually really value yourself for probably the first time in your life, you know, and to break some of these patterns, what are you up to now? How do you take these and you you learn from these lessons, right? What's the next chapter of the story?
2: Well, it's been a progressive evolution. Like the more I recover, the more open-minded I get. So the first, when I first got out of treatment in order, in order to get out, I had to have an aftercare plan, which involved um, a place called the Center for Problem Gambling. And I should tell you that I interviewed for a job back on the East coast the day before I went to treatment. So I came out of treatment and had a different job waiting, but I had, you know, family and friends here and and the money to clean up the debt and all that stuff. So going to the center, they gave us a counselor and then we had group meetings. So it was a little different dynamic. So it started opening my mind. And as I got further along in my recovery, they changed some of the strategies. They had a meeting called coping skills. So a couple things happened with that meeting. I was driving to and from, and I was listening to this fellow who had an alcohol-free podcast. Um, it was called Recovery Elevator, and I was listening to him. And I'd show up at group. Oh my god, Paul's talking about this and da-da-da-da-da-da, and usually it tied in with our coping skills or whatever the topics were. So we were getting a lot of. Different information that I wouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. What ended up happening was I got inspired by Paul and his podcast and started my own. And then I was doing more research. I was going to gambling conferences. So the education, whether it was reading the books, listening to podcasts, showing up, um, um, my mind is open to a bunch of different things that are different. And at the end of the day, the biggest lesson is not everybody recovers the same. Yeah. And it's really important to me to spread that word. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole self-care piece and the and the valuing ourselves, whatever it takes to get there. So that's what I'm up to now is trying to share that message. I also think that, well, my, my mantra is kind of to make adults play again, teach adults how to play again is kind of one of my taglines. And what I mean by that is instead of being... Um, uppity, or trying to do what other people say, or not letting you feel the things—you know, the the technical, the dopamine and the serotonin, and all the things you would get from doing a cartwheel or finger painting or going down the slide or roller skating—like all those things. Um, if people are taking care of themselves that way, they don't need to put the substances in their body or go turn out tune out the world by being behind a slot machine. So I'm trying to educate the world on, on what really is out there and some of the alternatives.
1: Yeah. What are some of the fun things that you found that adults can go and do?
2: Well, I I I like so many different things. So roller skating is one of my favorite things to do. But before I quit gambling, I had never gone to a sip and paint. I had never gone to a musical theater and enjoyed it. Like each week we in our in our gambling group we would pick activities. So there's different things like that, even, you know, trivia at without the bar going to concerts, not one of my favorite things. I'd always get crazy, but now I go see blue October cause they're amazing. Um, so just being open-minded to whatever your interests are. I have a bicycle now that I actually ride on purpose, you know, with, with the padded butt and everything like real bicycle person. So there's lots of different, um, activities that I've tried or do now.
1: Yeah, I think that's so absolutely critical. And we'll certainly talk about that a lot more in our, in our second segment. This idea of building a life that's worth living is the way that I've always thought about it and plays a big thing for me, being able to have sober fun and see the world, interact with people, and just kind of get out of my own head, I think is is so important. And it, it's so wild how people, I guess adults in general, get funneled into this thing where Play and alcohol and drugs become the same thing, right? Having fun becomes just getting wasted where there's so much more out there. There's so many more things that are, that are going on.
2: And once you discover the other things, you don't have time to go to the bar. You don't have time to hang out with those people. You don't have time to go to the casino. I am like the busiest person I know. And people tell me that all the time. There's no time to get in trouble when you're living your best
1: life. Absolutely not. Yeah, because there's just so much opportunity and there's so much, um, so many stakes too, right? I mean, I have relationships in my life now that I really care about and I have hobbies that are pretty technical and require a lot of focus. And I have a job that I'm very proud of and, and spend a lot of time in. And it all comes from a place of, well, maybe not all the time, but for the most part, it comes from a place of values and connection and, and you know, passion where, Drugs, for me, I was much more of a drug person, less of an alcohol person, but drugs are just a, an obstacle, right? They just kind of slow me down because there is so much out there. And it sounds like you're very similar.
2: Yes, all of it, whatever your drug of choice is, and, and I'm tying behavioral addictions in there. It's all about escaping, mm-hmm. not dealing, not doing the things
1: absolutely so we're going to move towards our first commercial break i've really appreciated hearing your story when we come back we're going to talk more about the value of play i want to hear about your recovery playgrounds that you've been uh you know trying to build around the world and this idea of uh, gambling addiction i think diving into it of what makes it similar and different from other types of addiction so if you're a listener um, hang on and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm sitting here with Bobby the Awesome, and we're talking about gambling addiction. We're talking about play. We're talking about kind of bringing vibrancy into life. And as we were chatting during the commercial break, we were just kind of reflecting on how common it seems to be that people, adults, I think mean particularly, get into this monotonous way of being, right? Working, going home, maybe going to the bar, maybe going out once a week, you know? Um, It's just this kind of monotonous over and over again thing where even if they're not particularly an addict or identify as an addict, there is this kind of hollowness to them, right? There's this kind of thing where time just flies by. There's not a lot of novelty. There's not a lot of fun or vibrancy. That's something that you see as well, Bobby?
2: A hundred percent, Mark. And I I think... One of the biggest things I learned through my recovery journey, I can't say that it was necessarily just at treatment, but it was how to be present. So if you're not being present, or at least for me, if I wasn't being present as I was living that hollow life that you were talking about, because for me, it would be, you know, work, the casino was every celebration or every um, disappointment or every time I could sneak and nobody would know um, or going when I was, so it looks a little different from when I was married versus when I was single, Uh, you know, but it was how much could I con my husband into doing things the way I wanted to do. But so many times in my life, and this actually just came up last week, that whole idea of running that circle, I couldn't understand what the point was. And now, now looking back at like COVID and everything, people even lost the ability to stop at the coffee shop on the way to work or the, you know, there were so many things taken away. So part of that hollowness was gone. Now I turned to self-education and online stuff and went to more meetings and saw the opportunity in it. But if you, if you were listening, living that cyclical life, you might not have even known you, you would, you wouldn't have been present. You wouldn't have been open to go do those things. So now I've created this environment of people I know all over the world. Like I can say, I have friends everywhere. The world opens back up. And even before it didn't um, you know, people didn't want me for Christmas because things were crazy. And I went down, I just took off and I went to Aruba by myself for Christmas and I had an intention, which I didn't even know what an intention was before I quit the stuff, um, but went with the intention of this is the kind of life that I want to live. I want to be able to be by the pool, work, even by the pool, but enjoy, go out, meditate, pay attention to those little crabs, all these things we don't even see when we're running that circle life. Mm -hmm. I would have never paid attention to the iguanas, you know, crawling around on the sidewalk or listening to the birds. So just being present is a gift that makes it so that you don't want to live that re- repetitive hollow life. It's, it's hollow. What's the point? You go to work to earn the money to buy the car that drives you to work or to pay for the roof over your head that you sleep on in between going to work. And most people have a traditional once a year vacation. And, um, it, it's just the same old, same old where I kind of feel like I live my life on vacation now.
1: Yeah. I really like that you're bringing up presents, you know, that was a huge part of my recovery journey as well. Mine was very rooted in Buddhism and Eastern thought and this idea of tapping into the present moment and finding, I mean, from their words, like the divine in the present moment. And I really i was just kind of tearing up a little bit as you talked about watching little crabs and listening to the birds and seeing the iguanas. Because for me, the natural world has always been the gateway to the present moment because there is so much happening. And it's also perfect in a way because it's just the animals and the plants doing their thing, you know, in the way that they've always been doing it. And that is something that really helps me drop into the moment and just see how much beauty we're surrounded by. And I did not do that before I got sober, right? It wasn't even a value of mine. I mean, I lived behind a screen. I lived in my own head. I lived in my anxiety. I lived in my perceived relationships with others. I was not aware of the sunset. I was not aware of the sound that the wind makes when it goes through Aspen trees. I had to learn all that stuff.
2: You're so right. It is like, it is learning how to be present. And I love that you mentioned like the, the Buddhism and that kind of way. That's here's a little secret. The biggest difference between when I quit in 2013 and when I quit in 2017 is the spirituality piece. And I lumped presence and Buddhism and all that stuff into spirituality for me, at least. And it, it got broken down as simple as, you know, enjoying the present moment, but also simple things like being kind to each other. And, you know, all these things that sound so simple that we learned in kindergarten, probably, but through life, we got corrupted and got all this stuff, you know, sent our way. But I'll tell you, I, I drive around the country quite a bit a lot. Actually, I put like 45,000 miles in a year on my car. And one of my favorite things is the sunrises, the sunsets, the mountains, and I'll pull over and I'll take pictures and like probably 10,000 of my 20,000 photos are all this scenery stuff or flowers. I've always been in the flower business. So I've always paid attention to them, but not from this like real appreciation perspective to enjoy them. You know, they've always said, take time to smell the roses. I'm sure every single one of your listeners has heard that. But are they living it? Are they, are they really enjoying it? That's, that's what I would challenge people to ask themselves.
1: Yeah, is to try to notice the small details around you, whether that be a flower or a dew drop or the way that the light hits, you know, the, the mountains. It really is critical. And it was such a challenge for me. To get out of my own head, to get out of my own anxiety. Because again, I was, uh, as I was saying, it's I was living in a world of my own construction. And I was a really bad architect because my <laughs> life had a lot of fear and a lot of judgment and a lot of shame. And just, it wasn't a healthy place for me to be. And I'm curious what your internal world was when you were using, was it similar? Like, how did you view life around you and view yourself?
2: So I was always competitive with myself or my parents. And so, for example, I don't have any children. And my rule was I wouldn't reproduce until I could provide better than my folks. So I was always chasing the what the better was. I wanted to be a vice president. I wanted to, you know, not be on food stamps. I wanted all those things. So it was always like this chase and not addressing any of the pain that had happened in the background. You know, and my pain started coincidentally all around the time that my, you know, drinking and drugging and all of those things really ramped up for me. So it was a very secluded world in the chase was just against myself and having this. Well, I could do better. Oh, I'm not pregnant 18th. Then I'm already ahead of the game or, you know, I have this this job title and, um, you know, this this is creating a best life. So it was always this, this competition in this weird way. And this part, I still don't understand. I was emotional without, like, I could be really sensitive. And like, if, if something happens, if I didn't get picked at work or whatever, you know, I might cry or be sensitive that way. But I never really went deep. Like, it wasn't substance stuff. It was very surface level. So I really had the gates up. So that's what it was for me. It was more about just protecting myself from more hurts. So I didn't let a lot of things in. Yeah, I lost a lot of people, a lot of people on holidays, um, you know, deaths, consecutive years, really some to addiction. It was just it was just a mess. Um, So it was all about not letting people in so I wouldn't have to worry about it when they died or left or did the thing.
1: Yeah. You're keeping the, your whole world at arm's length away.
2: Yeah. I was on my own little Island for most of it.
1: Yeah, I think that's really common. I mean, you brought up this idea of a mask earlier and that was certainly my experience was I was just in this kind of nice guy thing, you know, pleasing behavior, being who I thought other people wanted me to be. So that even if I did make friends and I did, cause I was somewhat good at it, I would never trust a friendship. Because they didn't know the real me. I was just pretending. I was just acting. I was doing this chameleon thing with them.
2: Yeah, exactly. And as my, so the gambling was, I would go hide and nobody would know. But the drinking, I was usually around people. And it got so bad that I didn't remember the conversations or the anything. So it was just, no matter what it was, it was avoiding. It was avoiding just life and everything so it's not living if you're avoiding i guess
1: yeah yeah so i want to pivot a little bit to talking about gambling addiction more directly what are some of the similarities and differences between that and say alcoholism which is what the one people are probably most familiar with
2: so one of the biggest distinctions is physically you can't tell if someone's a gambling addict Right. So alcohol and drugs show up like I could go lose ten thousand dollars this morning and you can't tell by looking at me on Zoom. But if I went and drank a fifth of Jack Daniels, you're going to be able to tell. So we we in recovery from gambling, most of us tend to think of gambling as being synonymous with lying. Cause you have to account for your time and your money and all of those things. So there's a lot more lying and it feels like alcohol and drugs tends to be more out in the open. Um, Suicide is much higher. Suicide is, is said to be, you know, gambling addiction is said to have the highest rate. Now, the caveat to that is again, if you have substances in your body, you're probably ODing or leaving the world in a different way. So, all perspective, um, but that overwhelm in that fear and all of those things. Especially, my rule always was: was if I lost the money, I could go work harder or work another job and and make it up. But these people who have families and the shame and the guilt that comes with it, and knowing that you've taken away your child's college fund or, um, you know, you're gonna lose the house where your family was raised. Like those are big big deal things um, that people have to cope with, with, with gambling. And if they're not drinking or drugging, in addition to that, right. They're living with that on their conscious and they're aware of it all day long. So that's one of the things, you know, the money is definitely a big distinction, but the, I'm coming to believe that it's all, it's all comes from the same place. It comes from, trauma not addressed. It comes from beliefs that were fed that we don't even know, you know, that just live within us. It's how we view the world. And we view the world that way because we don't know how to view the world any other way because it wasn't what we were taught. So I'm not even, I don't even think it's a fault thing. I think it's just the, just the way it works. We don't know what we don't know, which is why in recovery, and this baffles me too. Like, I feel bad for those people who don't, who haven't been addicts or haven't been in recovery. I'm like, how do they get this information? How do they know to be present? How do they know, you know, to do fun things? You know, like I just wonder. I, I've discovered some of it is church. That's how one way that people learn. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, for a long time I couldn't figure that out. Um, you know, in twelve step programs, I think that they could be applied to anybody. Anybody. Anybody that wants to be a better person, because that's what it does. It challenges us to kind of look in the mirror and strive to do better, whether it's for ourselves or for others. So I I kind of, aside from the physical, the causes, the ways to recover, the options, I see so much more similarity in in addictions than differences. And I think the world is starting to move that way too. Like I interviewed a fellow on my show and they're living that in Canada. Their rehab center isn't about just one thing or another. It's all different, behavioral, um, substance abuse. And then the recovery methods are all different too. It's like perfect uh, rehab as far as I'm concerned, like because it doesn't discriminate against anything.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I really appreciate you laying that out, that there are a ton of similarities in you know the addiction to dopamine, into this idea of, Constantly having these repetitive behaviors. I really liked that you brought that example of blacking out while gambling. You know, this idea of just being in a repetitive place where you, the mind will just numb out, it'll just scrub itself out because it is, you're in a dissociative state. And of course, and you know, I'm sure you bring this up at, at some point, underneath most addictions is trauma. There's usually something that we're trying to avoid, whether it be something that happened to us when we were younger or a current situation that's just unmanageable, but there is this big escapism thing that addictions can hijack the brain to not feel. So I found that, and I'm sure you've had the same uh, experience, that getting sober is step one, but recovery really means going back and healing that old trauma and really confronting the past and confronting our present moment so we can make a better life for ourselves. Would you agree with that?
2: Yes, and it's not it's not always going to be easy because here's the other thing you could be trying to get better, but that doesn't mean everybody and everything around you is moving at the same pace as you.
1: And oftentimes it's not.
2: (laughs) No. So you start showing up different than the people around you, which then may cause more conflict or, or drama. And actually I think drama is one of the things people are addicted to. The more I, the lens I can see through now and how I step away from things. It's like, That's not my battle, but it's almost an, is it to make people feel significant of their own? Like, is that way they want to be the martyr or the, the one jumping in the battles? It's just really interesting to me. So to do the work, you have to be, you have to be aware, you have to be open to the fact that it's the traumas and stuff. You have to be aware that it's real easy to slide into victim mode right? As you're trying to heal this stuff. Oh, poor me. No, not poor anybody. We all have stuff. We don't have to compare it to each other. We've all had pain. We've all had whatever we've had. Let's look at it. What's the lesson and let's move on because hanging out there is not serving anybody and hanging out there and then having to numb it is what's leading people to, you know, death, jail, those kinds of things.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. When I was in my program, one of my mentors would call what you're talking about um, terminal uniqueness, this idea that I suffer more than anybody else and my suffering is so unique and my pain is so special, which is a disorder kind of in its own right, because I think it does disconnect us from people because it's like, oh, you can't understand what I went through. I did X, Y and Z and you did ABC. And it creates a sense of loneliness and and a real victim mentality. And a big part of my recovery was taking 100% responsibility for my life. Even things that were out of my control, sure, I'm not responsible for them, but I'm responsible for how I react to them and how they influence me and how much or how little I want to take them in.
2: Oh, that's such a big point. And it's, it's so resonant in my life right now, this taking responsibility. And you're right. We can't control all the things that happen to us. I was in victim mode last year, 100% all kinds of bad stuff happened. Mom was in the hospital. Her guy died while she was in the hospital, all the family drama in the background, like all the things. And I, again, upon reflection in the moment, I didn't think I was playing victim. I remember being like, I'm not going to be the victim. And people being like, well, you, you have good reasons to be whatever. So then I come out of it angry and resentful and all those things that I didn't want to be, or that I was learning not to be. Um, And now today I could be like, oh, well, instead of, you know, doing X, Y, Z, like driving down from New York, say, to Connecticut and then being pissed that I drove to Connecticut, maybe I shouldn't have drove to Connecticut. It was my responsibility. It was my choice. Um, So it's, it's interesting to every single thing I've come to believe in life is our responsibility and our choice. You can't hurt my feelings, Mark. You can have an action, but I choose whether or not my feelings are hurt.
1: Correct. I mean, I have the same mentality where it's up to us to do the inner work to become strong so that we can have choice and empowerment. And the idea of living your life instead of having life live you.
2: Yes. Yes. I like that. Life live you. And terminal uniqueness.
1: Yeah, that that's... one wasn't mine, but it's, it's a good one. Yeah, go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, it could be used in a positive context, right? Like terminal uniqueness. I understand how it was framed, but I would love to take it as nobody can do what I can do because I'm going to always just be the only Bobby the Awesome out there. Yeah. So I like it in that way. That's the way I'm going to steal it.
1: You can you can take it. Um, so we're going to move to our next commercial break here. I want to hear more about your terminal uniqueness when we get back. This idea of these adult playgrounds, um, your podcast, you know, 321 No Kidding. I really want to highlight what you're doing out there in the world because it sounds like you're a fantastic advocate for this thing that in some ways has always been around but doesn't get nearly as much limelight as some of the more classical substance related addictions so if you're a listener hang in there uh, and we'll see you on the other side of the break
0: This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark m-a-r-c-azuley-a-z-o-u-l-a-y.teachable.com.
1: your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com.
0: You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azolay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes.
1: Welcome to our final segment here on From the Ashes. In this segment, we like to talk directly to the listeners and we like to highlight our guest. And we were just chatting a little bit over the break again. And something that I see in my practice, and I got to own, is probably a privilege difference and a you know location difference, is I don't see a ton of gambling addiction because casinos aren't just frequent around here in Boulder, Colorado, but I see a ton of video game addiction and a ton of gambling through that of buying character skins or buying loot boxes or spending a ton of money on a cell phone game, for instance. I'm curious your your thoughts on that, Bobby.
2: You're definitely more savvy on the video game, the actual terminology. I had to go to a conference to understand what a loot box was. And when I first got educated about this, it it got really, really scary because it wasn't just like the teenagers with the loot boxes and the skins. What was revealed to me was they the first grader and the five year olds, um, they put gaming images up that showed that looked like a slot machine. It's like a house, but really subliminally it's a slot machine. Like they're they're putting these messages in everywhere. And I would ask you, I like that you said um, you know, like the geography it's interesting, but are there arcades in Boulder, Colorado? Is there a Dave and Buster's?
1: Yeah, there, there's arcades.
2: Okay. So that's one of the things that I view as gambling for kids um, because you put money in, you get the rush and you get a reward, right? You trade in the tickets for garbage, but essentially it's, it's built in there Um schools nowadays like it feels like everything is raffles we were just we were just having a conversation this past weekend about uh one of my cousins uh, hosted this event at school for a fundraiser she's 17 years old she made it a casino night Mm -hmm. now both of her parents i gambled with quite a bit and they're still both gambling so now this 17 year old literally knows it's Tradition, casino night is a draw. Casinos are, you know, where people want to go. Um, So it's kind of hidden and normalized. Like I said, bingo for the grandmas, the buses that are coordinating, taking the seniors. It's just so acceptable. You would never take a bus of seniors out to the bar, but you'll take them to bingo.
1: That's a really good point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's scary to me. Um, at an office, the March madness posters or the Powerball that gets up that you have, you have lottery in, in Colorado, I presume, right? So there's probably the office pools. And when they get bigger, when I lived in Kansas, they did the March madness bracket at work. Um, you know, there's, it's there, but we don't think of it as gambling. We just think of it as life. And now New York, New York state legalized online sports betting, um, And all that online stuff opens a whole other, you know, you mentioned the the cell phone games, Candy Crush, for example. Um, (laughs) You play it, you know, and if you need more things, you buy the things. But in addition, every commercial, if you watch any of those games are slot machines. um, They'll show PayPal bingos like it's 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 targeting everyone. It's so scary because it's it's like a movement and what. To my point, New York um, opened this online gambling recently. And in the first three weeks, I think it was like $2.4 billion was gambled just in the state of New York. Like, that's insane. Where, where are people getting $2.4 billion?
1: Well, I think, you know, they're not. And that's part of the problem. They're driving up debt or they're borrowing money from their friends that they're going to lose down the line. It's creating this, this problem. So if there's a listener that is on the fence, because I think there is a line here, right? Like, what is the line between developing an addiction or having an addictive pattern around gambling and enjoying a game? Because it, it's difficult, right? It, it's difficult to know where that line is. What would you say to that person?
2: Have you ever heard of the pickle theory? It was on the show Mom, and we used it at the Gambling Center.
1: No, what's the pickle theory?
2: Okay, so if I'm an addict, I'm a pickle. And here's why. If you're a cucumber and you become a pickle, you can never go back to being a cucumber. So I can never go back to gambling normally again. So I'm a pickle now. I can never go back to being a cucumber. I've crossed that line. And I think your question is maybe looking for examples or clarity about what that line is, but the gambling, the way someone who isn't a gambling addict, um, I love the way that that Paul, you know, one of my mentors, he says it with alcohol. If you're asking yourself the question, are you an alcoholic? Chances are you're an alcoholic because people who are alcoholics aren't asking themselves the questions of if they're an alcoholic. So it's like one of the easiest ways. Um, But, but knowing that I'm a pickle and and the people that label themselves pickles, um, we kind of make it, I don't want to say fun, but we acknowledge it and know that we could never, if I walk into a casino, I'm going to pick up, right where I left off. And instead of losing, you know, 20 cents or $20, I'm going to go right back to the thousands. I'm going to pick up exactly where I left off.
1: Right. Those brain pathways are still there and they're just going to activate again. Yes. So how would you recommend a parent talk to their children about gambling? Cause you're right. It is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Well,
2: I'm not a parent, so I won't pretend to be like an expert on that. But I'll tell you what works with my 17-year-old niece and has been working all along. is being honest and explaining it like they'd understand it. Um, not hiding it, not making it okay, finding different activities. Like if they're saying, let's go to the arcade or can I play the this or the that? Balancing it with other things, having a little bit of the explanation. Don't buy them instant scratch-offs for every holiday and birthday because it's easier or better than a gift card. Don't set the tones that these things are okay because you never know when someone's going to cross the line from cucumber to pickle.
1: Yeah, so not making it the default is what I'm hearing. Yeah, Trying to find other things. It can be a treat. It can be something that's special with some explanation behind it, but not just defaulting to a gambling-type reward. Correct.
2: And having the conversation, it's okay, right? They have to talk about sex. They have to talk about alcohol. They have to talk about, you know, think of it as something that can be dangerous. So if you think about it in the same context as a parent, think about it as danger.
1: Yeah, I like providing other options. I think it's a good segue into talking about your recovery playgrounds and the 321 No Kidding movement project. Tell us more about that, because it sounds like you're trying to bring some more options for adults.
2: I am. And thank you for letting me talk about this. It's like my favorite topic in the whole world. Um, I want to build recovery playgrounds. You refer to it. So there'll be a place where there'll be no drinking, no gambling and no children. So this model is for a couple of reasons. One, it doesn't exist. But think of the person who's in recovery from alcohol or drugs that wants to participate in a billiard league or a dartboard league or trivia night or things like that. They have to literally go to a bar to find some of these things. So I want to create an environment where people don't have to go to the places to get the needs and they can lit, you know, do normal activities in life. And I want to, to your point about teaching and raising awareness, there's going to be adults that don't think of addiction or just want to have fun or do date night or escape the kids or whatever. As a, as a world, we need to take care of our mental health. So recovery playgrounds will be that place where you can go and you can celebrate and you can do physical things and you can do mindful things and you can do normal activity things and be present in the experience. If you're a parent, chances are you go to an amusement park or um, you go roller skating. I'll use roller skating. You're The roller skating is about the child's experience, right? Like that's when you see parents get lit up. They're excited that their kids are having fun. Mm -hmm. They're always, you know, are they going to fall? Are they going to hurt? like, you don't get to relax. You don't get to enjoy the roller skating as a person. So I want to create that culture. I want to, when you go to a restaurant, you might get a a free dessert for having an anniversary or a birthday. I want to celebrate clean time to help, remove the stigma. So you can get a dessert if you're a year sober or whatever and make it okay and not kind of remove this anonymous piece of it, right? Because it's my opinion that we can't recover wholly if we're remaining anonymous and we're not being transparent or not having voices. And the thing of it is an addiction is it's not as bad as we think it is in our head. Anybody I've ever told that I was a gambling addict, They don't care like, and and in the sense of they don't care enough, it doesn't impact their life generally, you know, beyond that second, they have their own stuff to worry about. They don't need to worry about my addiction. Right. So we take away the power. Once we remove the anonymous piece, then people can't like, what is the absolute worst that someone going to do label you as an addict. Okay. So that's your label. That's your, that's like on you. If you're in recovery, you understand that. So and that's the kind of place that I want to build. I want people, I want adults to play. I want recovery to be normalized. And I want quality of life to be normalized. It doesn't have to be, I never thought about it before this conversation, Mark. So thank you. But when we talked about that cyclical life or that hollow life, we could um, reach more people who are living that kind of life and just give a better quality of life. It doesn't even have to be addiction-based. So I love that.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, first off, I love the idea too. I think that taking re- getting rid of the anonymous tag, creating a more positive view of recovery, I think is super critical, and I think it's going to be really necessary when we're looking at attracting millennials and, and Gen Z and the n- new generation. Because something that I run against, you know, in my in my job is when people think about recovery and sobriety, they think about AA, they think about people sitting in a circle in the basement of a church, being sad. Which is not what AA meetings all are, but that's the impression that people get. And I love this idea of making it fun, making it cool, making it a place where people can meet other sober people. You know, there's a couple organizations in Colorado that I I did some work with and love to plug. Um, You may have heard of them. One is Phoenix Multisport, which is sports activities, exercise, bike rides for sober people. And all you have to do is be sober 24 hours before and you can show up. And they have a lot of funding where they will pay for a, a bike um, repair or b- bike rental. They'll pay for a rock climbing pass. They will, you know, pay for permits for trails. So they really help people to get out there. And it's not an AA meeting, but it's good to know that everyone there is sober or at least committed to being sober. Right, have the intention to be sober. And another one by my good friend Duke Rumley is um, "Sober AF Entertainment." where they go and they buy out seats in sporting events, particularly in concerts. So you can just go to an event and be surrounded by sober people and you can buy tickets through them and know that you are with people. They have sober tailgates, they have things like that. So I think you're part of a growing movement to get it more visible and to get it more out there. I love,
2: I love both of those initiatives. Um, so why I, I just have to call this out. Um, because that does work. Like I could go to a sporting event and enjoy it, but with the gamble, this is the problem I see. If you go to a bar, there's a kino machine or gambling usually in bars and vice versa. If you go to the casino, there'd be alcohol. Um, so the sporting events could be a trigger, right? So that's why I have to think a little different. And again, not all things for all people. And I'm not judging. I love, I love that. And I'm actually headed to Colorado in May. So, um, We'll see what, what happens with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That sounds really intriguing to me and exciting. So thank you for that. But that's exactly it. I've gone on some alcohol-free trips and, you know, to Asia and, and Thailand and uh, just different, different places and you get to connect and, and meet people. And that's what it's about, right? Is that being present again, you, you can't be present on a bike ride high you're not going to be on a bike ride. If you're at a casino, uh, you know, golf is an example. You could be golfing, but if you're golfing for, I think they call them skins. I never did skins, but, um, we used to golf or bet on greenies, you know? Um, but I can still golf now without having to bet on who's closest to the pin and stuff. But again, nobody would think of, well, it's a Sunday morning golf game. And and there's money happening, and it's about the rush. It's not really about the dollar. It's about the rush. It's about that fix. So it's just everywhere. Sorry, I t- probably digressed a little.
1: No, I think it's a fantastic idea, and I really want to be involved in, and see where it goes. I, I'd love to, you know, be able to bring you back on the show, you know, in a couple months or a year or so to see where, where it's at right now, because I think that it's necessary and it's out there. So unfortunately we do have to uh, wrap up here, but Bobby, can people know of where they could find you online if they want more information about you or your projects?
2: Well, the easiest way, Bobby, the awesome and not the cat. Um, Cause there is a Bobby, the awesome, the cat um, or three, two, one, no kid in. So three, two, one is my clean date. I ruined the surprise. And then the no kid in is because no children will be allowed in the building. Um, no kid in that helps. <laughs> gave you all my secrets
1: that's fantastic well thank you so much for joining us and thanks listeners for tuning in we'll see you on another episode of from the ashes
0: Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.